Shalom, and thank you for listening to sermons from Tikvot Israel, a Messianic synagogue in the heart of Richmond, Virginia. Listening to the podcast is great, but if you want the full experience, please join us Saturday mornings at 10 a.m. for our worship service. We are located at the corner of Boulevard and Grove, across from the Art Museum. For more information, you can visit our website at tikvotisrael.com. There, you can support the ministry, learn more about Messianic Judaism, and contact us with any questions or comments. May Hashem bless you through the hearing of His Word. Um, you know how uh, David Letterman had his famous uh, top ten list? Is anyone familiar with this? Well, here, uh, this uh, I thought I would write a tribute to, to that. These are the top ten things I love about our community. All right, and we can give a, a praise to the Lord after each one, okay? You ready for this? All right, number ten. Wait, uh, okay. How does this work? I think you're supposed to say, uh, say the number, and then I'll say the thing, and then you could say yay. All right, so let's try that. Number ten. Ten. Our heart for worship expressed in dance, music, and liturgy. Yay. Number nine, our hospitality shown in the best Oneg in town. Praise the Lord. Number eight, the presence of Yeshua through all the festivals like Passover and Sukkot. Number seven, our love for one another and our genuine community. Yay. Number six, our regard and respect for the Torah. Woo! Number five, our volunteer attitude and our love for service. Woo! Praise God. Number four, our commitment to worship God, whether we have heating and cooling or not. Amen. Number three, our awesome staff and shamashim and ministry leaders and volunteers and everyone that pitches in and helps. Praise the Lord. Number two, help, outreach, purpose, and education in everything that we do. And the number one thing I love about our community is you all. I said Yeshua before. Yeah, the presence of Yeshua. Okay. but the, Yes. Amen. Amen. He is number one. But uh, this is uh, what I love about our, com- our, our community, and I thought I would do a, a top ten list. You know, speaking of top tens, there's a very, very famous top ten list in this week's Parsha. Do you know what it is? Of course, I'm speaking of the top ten complaints we had in the wilderness. No, I kid, I kid. That would be last week's sermon, okay? This week, of course, we get the ten commandments. Yes, but I'm getting a little ahead of myself, so I have to slow down here, okay? You know, there's a famous story in the Talmud about Rabbi Hillel, who he was asked by one of his students to summarize the entire Torah while standing on one foot, okay? Presumably, this was before the, uh, uh, the development of yoga, okay? So, you know, there was no flamingo pose, at this point, so uh, you couldn't stand on your foot, one foot, for very long at this time. And so Rabbi Hillel responded, see if I can do it, do not do to others that which is hateful to you. 
All the rest is commentary. Now go and learn. Yeah, that's pretty good. Get my, scuff my pants there. It's a pretty good summary of the heart of the Torah, right? Another, perhaps uh, we would say more authoritative summary of the Torah, of course, is given by Yeshua, who is the living Torah, the Torah made flesh, through conversation. And this is what we find in Mark chapter 12, verses 28 through 31. One of the Torah teachers came up and heard them engaged in this discussion. Seeing that Yeshua answered them well, he asked them, Which is the most important mitzvah, that is commandment, of them all? Yeshua answered, The most important is, let's say it together, Shema Yisrael Adonai Eloheinu Adonai Echad. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you are to love Adonai your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your understanding, and with all your strength. And then he said, the second is this. You are to love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other mitzvah greater than these. So we have confirmation from the Messiah that the center of Torah has to do with loving God with everything we have and loving our neighbor as we do ourselves. And so surely, if we look at the beginning of the Torah, that is, the moment when the covenant starts, we will find even more confirmation. It should go together. Amen? And perhaps we'll see these ideas fleshed out a little bit. So with fresh eyes, everyone put your fresh eyes on. Okay, good. Let's look at this week's Parsha, which contains the famous Ten Commandments. What makes these stand out is that, uh, thank you, Robert. What makes these stand out is that they are the beginning of the covenant at Mount Sinai. These are the first instructions given to Israel as part of that covenant. The other remarkable thing is that these ten commandments, these instructions were written directly by Hashem, by his finger onto the tablets. It's not transmitted through Moses like the rest of the other commandments. So we could say that these first ten instructions are also in a sense, the heart of the Torah. Do we see that? Okay, so let's take a look at the first three. This is in Exodus 20, verses 1 through 5. Then God said all these words, I am Adonai, your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the abode of slavery. You are to have no other gods before me. You are not to make for yourselves a carved image or any kind of representation of anything in heaven above, on the earth beneath, or in the water below the shoreline. And you are not to bow down to them or serve them. For I, Adonai, your God, am a jealous God, punishing the children for the sins of the parents to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but displaying grace to the thousandth generation of those who love me and obey my mitzvot, my commands." You are not to use lightly the name of Adonai, your God, because Adonai will not leave unpunished someone who uses his name lightly. That's, uh, or also translated, takes the Lord's name in vain. Okay? So what do we notice here? Uh, We can leave it up for a second. First, we notice that uh, the commandments in Jewish tradition, uh, they begin with a connection to the Exodus and the identity of God. Right? He says, I am the Lord your God who redeemed you from slavery And therefore, because of his rescuing, because he brought us out, we will therefore be his people, and we will therefore follow his commands. It's a relationship. 
It's based on grace and rescuing. And uh, we, we've talked about that before. Second, we notice in verse 6 that God's kindness and grace are about a thousand times greater than his judgment. And uh, if, we see, if we see those lines that it's comparing his, his judgment to a few generations versus his mercy and grace, which are to a thousand generations, okay? And uh, so we understand that he is our king, but he is a rescuing king, and he is a loving father through, our, through these commandments. Third, we notice the first three commandments all have to do with the same theme. It's all about our relationship to God. And this is perhaps a fleshing out of loving the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and strength. So it's a little bit, it's kind of defining that a little bit. So we have, what do we have? No other gods, no images of God, and respecting the name of God. We see those three, right? Okay, so where was I? Okay, uh, in the context of the ancient world, when we think about idolatry, it was uh, pretty clearly defined back then, right? They were actually, you know, bowing down to these images that they made. Today, it's perhaps a bit harder to pin down. My mom, uh, I was talking to her, we were doing a little Torah study, and uh, she asked me once why idolatry was such a serious offense in the Torah. And uh, I thought about it a little bit, and this is what I, I said to her. I said something like this. Mom, you were the one who carried me for nine months, who gave birth to me, who fed me, who changed my diapers, gave me unconditional love, taught me right from wrong, drove me to piano lessons, who gave me everything I needed. Imagine if one day I started talking to a shrub and thanking that shrub for giving birth to me, for taking care of me. How wrong would that be? That would be pretty wrong, right? So the best human analogy that the Torah has for God is that God is like our parent who gave us life, who knows every hair on our head, even though it's, it's not as hard for someone like me, but the Lord still knows. He loves us no matter what. Therefore, we do not give our affection to another. That is the heart of uh, monotheism. That's why we do that. But what does idolatry look like now? Yes, there are cultures with so-called gods and, and statues and things like that. But in modern, modern American culture, we don't usually come across that as much. It's usually more subtle. But that doesn't make it okay. The question is, what has our attention? What has our adoration? What are we giving praise to? Humans were designed to worship something. Popular today, the most popular, I think, is the worship of self. Yes, that's right. Self-esteem. Looking within to find your center. Self-actualization. self Medication. You can be your own God. This is the same trap that we came across in the garden with the snake. It's the same thing. The thing is, we are all craving identity and a center. We're craving affirmation and something to build on. And the Ten Commandments remind us that our source and our center and our identity should come from the Lord. It doesn't come from within us. It's not self. It's the Lord. All right? Let's look again at commandment number three, 
not disrespecting the name of God, or in other words, not taking the Lord's name in vain. My sense is that this means a little bit more than saying, oh gosh, instead of oh God, right? It's not, it's not just that. There's something more to it, okay? So the Hebrew name, uh, word for name, does anyone know this? I've talked about it before. Shem, yes, Shem. Let's try that together. Shem, very good. So in Hebrew thought, the name of something is, it means more, Shem means more than just name, right? It's reputation, and it also is identity, okay? So let's tie this to the second commandment. So it says we're not to make a false image of God because God has created us to bear his image, right? Remember that in the garden? And we are to reflect his name, his identity, and his goodness, and his reputation. The second and third commandments, if we state them positively, it might be something like this. Instead of trying to create a statue or an artistic image of God, reflect his image through your behavior, through your godliness, okay? Instead of bringing shame to his name, we give renown and credit to his name, and we reflect his name, that is his identity, in our godliness, in our goodness, right? That is, we are to make him known, we are to tell of what he has done in our lives, and we are to represent him. We are the ones that supposedly know God, right? So we should, so to the world, we sh- his goodness and his love should be reflected through us. That makes his name great. That reflects his name. And who do we reflect his goodness to? To our neighbor, right? That's why the first commandments uh, lead directly to the next set of commandments, loving our neighbor. But I'm getting ahead of myself again. I'm sorry about that. I'm just very excited about this. Okay? So combining the first three, what do we have? We have a full sense of what it is to love God with all our being. God gets our full attention, our full adoration. Our relationship with God is primary. And we are to reflect his name, his reputation, and represent the Father's love on the earth. Anything in this created world that's ourself, ourselves, our spouses, our technology, right? Our jobs, our hobbies, our rest, these are all subordinate to the Lord. They all must, in a sense, bow down to God. All right? And then we have the fourth commandment given to the Israelites. This is in Exodus 20, verses 8 through 11. Very interesting where the placement of it is. Remember the day, Shabbat, the Sabbath, to set it apart for God. You have six days to labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Shabbat for Adonai, your God. On it, you are not to do any kind of work, not you, your son or your daughter, not your male or female slave, not your livestock, and not the foreigner staying with you inside the gates to your property. Excuse me. For in six days, Adonai made heaven and earth, the sea and everything in them, but on the seventh day, he rested. So Shabbat looks back to creation. This is why Adonai blessed the day Shabbat and separated it for himself. So connected to the first three commands, the context of Shabbat allows us to rest and reflect and reconnect with God. It points back to the Lord. This is a, a, 
uh, kind of familiar to us, but in the ancient Near East, this was a radical concept, right? Just resting uh, every seventh day was unheard of. The Shabbat is given to the children of Israel as something holy and separate. And it's designed, as I said, to look back to creation and forward to restoration and renewal and refocusing our attention, our adoration on God. The rabbis say that it is a time out of time. Okay? This is one of those commandments that was explicitly given to Israel in the Sinai Covenant, but it has some application to all disciples of Yeshua, that is, Jew and Gentile. And this is implied in, uh, in the text. As we saw, it said uh, that the foreigner staying with you, the word for foreigner in the text is, is ger. Can we try that? Ger, right? That's a, like a foreign resident, right? They are also to rest if they are part of your uh, part of the community of Israel at this time, okay? And it's not a direct correlation, but there is a uh, there's a parallel to Messianic Gentiles who have joined our community, right? So they can look at this text and find some basis for resting, because that is what we as a Messianic Jewish congregation are doing. We're resting on Shabbat, okay? So the role of Shabbat within the Ten Commandments now, especially after the first three, gives it a, a, a purpose. It's to rekindle our love for God. Shabbat is designed for us to stop, stop our regular activities and things that may command our attention and to worship God. And let's read the rest of the commandments together, okay? Because then it follows in a very specific order. We have it up here. See if we can read this together. Honor your father and mother so that you may live long in the land which Adonai, your God, is giving you. Do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not give false evidence against your neighbor. Do not covet your neighbor's house. Do not covet your neighbor's wife, his male or female slave, his ox, his donkey, or anything that belongs to your neighbor. Okay? So Messiah Yeshua gave us a lot of the sense of the heart behind these commandments, the original intent. Okay? So let's, let's look at the first one for a second. Honoring your parents. We actually have a good picture of this in the first part of this week's Parsha. Moses meets up with his father-in-law. What was his name? Jethro, or in Hebrew is Yithro, okay? And Moses tells him um, all that the Lord did for them and how he, uh, and then he explains how Moses governs and judges over every little dispute in Israel. And Jethro gives him some advice, right? And he doesn't even, he doesn't even charge him, right? He just gives him free advice. There's no uh, Jethro toll here. Okay, and uh, sorry. Anyway, so so Jethro says, uh, now 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 hold on, son. All right, what you're doing is not good. You're gonna get burned out if you do it that way. You need to delegate. You need to have uh, uh, raise up some some godly leaders that can teach and judge in uh, in different groups, so that you're only making uh, the most difficult judgments in the most difficult cases, right? Moses, listen, you're, you're like the Supreme Court, okay? You don't need to be hearing about every traffic violation in Israel, okay? So this was his advice. Now, 
even though Jethro is not an Israelite, right? Because we see he, he comes to know the God of Israel, right? Um, and he's not even Moses' father. This is his father-in-law. And yet, Moses takes his advice. He honors Jethro, and he takes it to heart. And it's actually very helpful to his ministry. This is right before the Ten Commandments. I don't think that's a coincidence. It gives us a picture of honoring our parents. So, unless our parents are telling us not to worship Yeshua, or they're telling us to directly violate um, some commandment in the scriptures, we should honor the counsel of our parents, and uh, perhaps our parents-in-law as well. And we should respect them, and we should take care of them as they took care of us growing up. I think there's a few reasons that this is the first of the kind of relational commandments, the human commandments. For one thing, it's of primary importance. It even comes with a promise, as the new covenant reminds us. Honor your parents that it may go well with you in the land. Second, I think it links the first commandments about loving God to the rest of the commandments, which are about loving your neighbor. As I mentioned before, our relationship with our parents, it shadows our relationship with our Heavenly Father. So it's a segue between the two ideas. As for the rest of the commandments, Yeshua kind of ups the ante on these, as, as it were, on the Ten Commandments. Uh, and, I mean, most of us could probably go our whole lives without murdering someone. Yay! Good job, everyone. But don't pat yourself on the back yet. The living Torah, Yeshua the Messiah, he... He gave us a deeper meaning for this, didn't he? He related it to unforgiveness, to bitterness, to anger. What do you suppose... That's good. Thank you, Robert. What do you suppose the opposite of bitterness in one's heart would be? What is Yeshua telling us to do? Over and over, he speaks of the letting go of debts. That is forgiveness, right? Is that what we were thinking? Good. You're tracking with me. It's, it's easier for us to not commit adultery. It's harder to control our lust and our wandering eyes, especially in the saturation of these things in today's culture. Setting boundaries or limits can be helpful in this area. We have to remember that lust is a perversion of God's purpose. It can be an addiction, so it can be like idolatry. It can rob us of intimacy with our spouse, and it degrades the image of other Humans who are made in the image of God. The rest of the relational commandments, they can be summed up, I think, with uh, the word restorative justice, right? And this gets fleshed out in the prophets and the writings of the New Covenant, but the basic structure for justice is there in the top ten. You know, we're not stealing, right? We're not coveting, but we are relating to our neighbor in a loving, restorative justice way. Let's uh, take a bird's eye view for a moment, right? Let's look at the order from above. We see there's a natural progression of relationship with God and putting him first that should spill over into loving others, right? Not only that, but the two concepts go together, whether in the positive or the negative sense. We notice that when Israel fell into idolatry in her long history, right, there was also a... a um, sort of a 
more sexual immorality and there was more perversion of justice. They weren't loving their neighbor either, right, at that time. And, of course, the opposite is true. Um, but uh, there, there's a, an analogy that Hosea gives that links these two ideas. He links um, idolatry, worshiping other gods, to adultery, which is nice in English, I guess, because they sound alike, uh, you know, ironically. So worshiping other gods, right, giving adoration or attention to anything other than the creator God is, according to Scripture, is like cheating on your spouse, it's very serious, okay? And this is the other human relationship besides parent that gives us a sense of God, God relating to us, right? He is, it's the, the, the closest human relationships are the ones that are used for, for as an analogy to how God feels about us and relates to us. He is like a husband to Israel and to those from the nations who are grafted in to Israel, right? This is the analogy we see. So how fundamental are these commandments, you might ask? No? Okay, never mind. All right, you had your shot. Okay, these are so fundamental, I'm glad you asked. They are the basis for the major teachings of Yeshua. If we think about the Sermon on the Mount, right? And they reappear throughout the New Covenant scriptures. Just as an example, I'd like us to consider this passage from 2 Timothy 3, verses 2 through 5. Let's read it together. In the last days, people will be self-loving, money-loving, proud, arrogant, insulting, disobedient to parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, uncontrolled, brutal, hateful of good, traitorous, headstrong, swollen with conceit, loving pleasure rather than God, as they retain the outer form of religion but deny its power. Stay away from these people. And of course, try not to be like those people. All right, where do we suppose that Paul got all these bad habits that he was talking to Timothy about? Right? Certainly it wasn't the Declaration of Independence, right? It was the Ten Commandments, of course. So we've seen some fleshing out of this uh, often quoted commandment, to love God and to love our neighbor. Through the Ten Commandments, loving God looks like wholehearted devotion. It means availing ourselves of Shabbat and using that time to rest in his presence and refocus on him and to make his reputation, his name, known through our loving acts. And this should lead naturally to loving others, by pursuing, pursuing purity and by forgiveness and by restorative justice. This is the heart of the Torah. I know many of us are familiar with the Ten Commandments, right? And the two greatest commandments that I think sum them up. But that doesn't mean that we don't need a refresher every once in a while. A little wake-up call for our spiritual lives. On this day, when Jews all over the world are reading the same text that we are reading, right? They're all reading through the Ten Commandments. Let's take some time this Shabbat and ask ourselves, is there anything in our lives besides God that has our devotion, that has our attention? Shabbat is a good time 
to set boundaries on things that might grab our attention during the week. So let's slow it down a little bit, right? Let's refocus on Hashem this afternoon. And let's ask ourselves some questions. How are we doing relationally with these Ten Commandments? Are we being covenantally loving to our community, to our parents, to our neighbors, to our community? Is there some practical way that God wants to reveal to us that we can show kindness to someone else? Is there a bitterness that we need to release? Do we need to forgive someone? Right? Let's not take God's name in vain, but let's represent his name. Let's make wide his reputation and his love and his kindness that everyone we meet would know there is a God full of mercy who rescues, who loves us with the compassionate, unconditional love of a father or a mother and the passionate, intimate love of a husband or a wife. May the fullness of God's love flow in you and through you to your neighbor. And may you have a fresh revelation of the depth and the covenant of that love, for that is the heart of the Torah. Amen? Do we receive it? Baruch Hashem.